So Money episode 1228, Sunny Esrani, co-founder of the app Clasp and themoneygay.com. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. When you look at a lot of traditional financial advice, especially and, and, and on TikTok too, like there's a big movement on TikTok around personal finance advice. You can see the kind of style it's given and the kind of people who kind of give that where it doesn't make anyone really feel very safe. The focus is on getting ahead. And as a result, people do get left behind. And what happens, the way that actually manifests is if someone feels like this discipline or this industry is not a safe space for them, they're going to just ignore it altogether. And that's a bad thing because if they ignore, if they're completely ignorant of everything economic or finance, then they're not going to make the best financial decisions for themselves. They're not going to make the best decisions in terms of how to optimize their credit card debt or whether they should buy a home or whether they should invest. Like Those decisions are not even going to be made because that's not a conversation being had in these spaces at all. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for gathering with me here. Our conversation today is about financial inclusivity. This was recorded back in June during Pride Month. My guest is Sonny Esrani. He is the co-founder of CLASP, a new financial wellness coaching platform. Sonny is also the founder of themoneygay.com. He is active as well on TikTok. Sonny and I really have an open and honest dialogue today about what it means to be inclusive in the personal finance industry. He shares his own personal journey navigating Wall Street as a gay man and how that impacted his career decisions moving forward. Sonny is better known as the money gay on TikTok, where he's committed to making personal finance accessible and interesting for groups traditionally left out of the personal finance conversation. We focus on the word safe and how sometimes when you don't feel safe, it can prohibit you from moving forward in your life in many ways, including pursuing your financial life. Sonny is a chartered financial analyst. He spent six years on Wall Street as an analyst at Merrill Lynch. He's also a software engineer previously at Bloomberg, and he's a friend. I'm really excited to share this episode with Sonny Israni. Sunny Israni, welcome to So Money. So happy to be here. My dream come true. Oh, man. Can you, I mean, to think about the last time we saw each other was pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Was it 2019 at a cafe in Midtown? You at the time were at the beginnings of developing your app, which is now out in the yep. world. It's called Clasp. We're going to talk about that, of course. And, you know, as two financial nerds, uh, you know, it's like we take meetings with each other. And yep. it was so nice to meet you and to learn about your journey. And now to have you on the show to share it with all of my audience is really, really special. So just welcome and hope you'll enjoy this day. Yes. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so like I mentioned, you have this entrepreneurial 
um, venture, this app, this financial app called Clasp. And it's evolved over the years. I'm curious to learn about how the pandemic has really shifted the focus. Uh, But also you have quite the visibility on social media. This is something that you initiated starting The Money Gay on TikTok. And I think you share on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. I need to learn about that because um, you got to tell like, I'm not going to I don't think I'm going to ever get on TikTok, but I think you will never say never. <laughs> I challenge you on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let's up the ante. Um, but let's start with maybe given that it is June, it's Pride Month. Uh, you're you're publicly gay, like you're very proud of that. You're, mm-hmm. This is very much your identity. And also as you, you know, as you're building this financial world, this sort of like this app, but it's more than an app um, yeah. and your education around personal finance, your identity is very much a part of that. And so as we reflect on Pride Month and the LGBTQ plus community and their financial rights, what still stands out to you? What are some things that you want us to be thinking about that maybe we're not? Yeah, you know, I think above all, firstly, you know, it feels like we've made so much progress. You know, I'm in New York City. I feel like I've made so much progress in my life compared to growing up in, um, you know, the suburbs in a time when, you know, gay marriage wasn't legal. Um, And it feels like we've made so much progress. But the, the truth of the matter is that progress is not spread evenly throughout this country. So um, there's still a lot of a, a long ways to go. And also that progress isn't shared equally within the community. Um, you know, the, the community is not, um, it's not a monolith. It's like a very, very diverse community. And when I think of, you know, our trans brothers and sisters, when I think of um, people from underrepresented groups, um, that progress that we've seen hasn't been shared. And so I think, firstly, it's the political power. And as we all know, economic power translates to political power. And I think that's the first the first kind of financial consideration. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, when you look at the economic power in this country, it is predominantly derived from industries that are dominated by straight white men. And as a result, what happens is, because of that lack of representation, a lot of disenfranchised groups can look at these industries and just, they don't relate. They, they feel disaffected from it. Like when they see finance or they think of Wall Street, it's just not for them. It's part of this other situation that is not good. It's corrupt. And therefore, there's not even an opportunity to learn. And yet though, Sunny, you navigated the financial industry and two industries really, tech and finance, mm-hmm. which are both male dominated and probably traditionally yep. straight male dominated. <laughs> and so you, despite what you just said, that there are these, um, could we say uninviting um, industries or, you know, not representative industries, um, which I understand could totally prohibit somebody from from going that direction, but you did. So tell us about what uh, your experience was. Were you, did you feel isolated? Did you, like, what, I don't know, what was your experience? Yeah, you know, I've always been interested in the in finance and money. I had an MSN money account for my allowance when I was a teenager um, <laughs> and like so over-engineered. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I majored in finance and I was always fascinated by the market. So I did go into Wall Street, but you know, I came to New York for college to live an out proud life. So there was such a dichotomy between 
living a gay lifestyle in the early 2000s and then going to work on a trading floor at a bulge bracket firm on Wall Street. Quite a dichotomy. I was openly gay on the trading floor, but I was the only openly gay person on that trading floor. And oftentimes I even see certain other people on that trading floor at the gay bar who would nudge me and say, you didn't see me here. So, um, so it was quite a dichotomy and it was, it was tough because here I was living this out and proud gay life, but then, you know, reporting to work, all that cultural stuff, I feel made it that much more difficult to really thrive in finance. I loved the markets. I loved, I understood it. I got my CFA. I really could tell you how to value a credit default swap, like the back of my hand back then. And, um, and all that additional cultural stuff kind of held me back a bit, which is why I pursued entrepreneurship. And it held you back in, in what ways? I have my thoughts, but I want to I hear from you. Yeah. So I really wanted to be a trader. Um, that was a dream of mine. I knew I could do it. I had been interning in credit default swaps since I was 19. So I knew the product. Um, and it was just not possible to make that jump from a trader's assistant to a trader. Um, I, you know, being told I don't have the right mannerisms or it's just, it wasn't possible. Mannerisms. <laughs> mannerisms. Yes. That was what an are actual you talking quote, about? <laughs> an actual quote um, that Thanks. I will never forget and burned in my mind. Um, and, you know, to get far in finance, it, it really is about building those connections and networks. And um, it was difficult for me. Wow. Mannerisms. Yep. That's uh, <laughs> coded language right there. <laughs> coded language. Wow. That's okay. So you pivoted to entrepreneurship. We're so grateful for that. <laughs> uh, you're making a real impact on the world. And you're, so now it's been what, a few years uh, since the idea, ideation of yes. CLASP. Tell us about CLASP and the impact that you want it to make in the world. Yeah. So, you know, the ideation really started when I was working on Wall Street. Um, you know, when I would tell people out at the gay bar, like, oh, I worked at this bulge bracket firm and I worked on Wall Street. Um, it, you know, you would be met with, oh, I can't even, I don't even know anything about finance. I, you know, there was just this, inf- this tremendous informational asymmetry that was happening. And I just really felt like I could teach people about this stuff. Like people should know how a credit default swap works. It's actually really simple when you think about it in a big picture lens, right? Like maybe the valuation, you don't have to get into that. But um, so I've always been passionate about making this information just accessible to people who may not see themselves in these industries. And just feeling empowered around money is such an important aspect of being an independent person in our society. And that's kind of how the idea came to be. Hold that thought because I just had another question that takes yes. us back a few a few more years. But when you were growing up, you know, I can't um, forget what you said about how you always had this, you know, the MSN bank account <laughs> when you were 19. I mean, it's a certain profile of person that gets excited talking about credit default swaps. Did I yeah. even say that right? <laughs> yeah. Tell us about Sunny at age six or seven or your first money memory, your first money learning however you learned it, right? Yes. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, your classic story, uh, child of immigrants. (laughs) My parents immigrated here to start uh, to to build a better life for themselves from India. And, um, you know, at the time in the 80s, it's not like there was many um, opportunities in corporate America for immigrants. It just wasn't possible. 
So what do immigrants do when they come to the land of opportunity? They start businesses. And if they fail at the first one, they will start the next one. And boy, did my parents both do it. And it wasn't just my dad. It was my mom and my dad working together side by side from jewelry stores to like flea markets to garment business. It was just nonstop. So I grew up, my earliest memories were being brought into the stores and like they had this little jewelry counter and like seeing all the jewelry and seeing them count the money, like, like, and and my mom could count money so fast. It was just mesmerizing. Um, So that was, that was my earliest kind of memories of just money itself, but it really was in the lens of entrepreneurship. And I had known from an early age that I wanted to be a businessman, like my parent, like my mom and my dad, you know? So that's my earliest memory. <laughs> and and fascinating that your parents were both in these industries, these businesses that were very like brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, an underlying asset, uh, like uh, whether it was jewelry yes. or clothing. Fast forward to today where like everything is digital and mm-hmm. an app is very much a, tech, a piece of technology. Do you feel like the learnings of entrepreneurship that your parents passed down to you are transferring now, even though the medium in which you're working is so different? Yes. You know, I actually believe deep that um, business principles are timeless. And I think that when we see a lot of you know, tech companies um, and tech calamities in our today, today's world... Um, if you see why they fail, they lose sight of the simple truth that business principles are timeless and they're universal. Being conservative with your spending, being a visionary with your opportunities, these are things that are timeless. And whether you're selling a piece of jewelry or a digital product, that's always going to be there. And I do think that many tech entrepreneurs, they lose sight of that. And they lose sight of that that old wisdom which can sometimes lead to the tech, these tech calamities that we sometimes yes. see. Also, a business principle that is timeless is listening to your customer, listening mm-hmm. to your market. The pandemic was an incredibly informing time for many businesses as they saw where their customers went and how they were, what they needed. And, and the, you know, it was an acceleration in some ways of innovation and some, yeah. in some cases going out of business. What was the pandemic for CLASP in terms of the learnings and the pivots? Yeah. So, you know, we actually launched the first, we were in beta prior to the pandemic. We launched the first version of the app to the app store, I want to say in April of 2020. So we were scheduled to launch literally March 15th, but we had to delay it because things were getting crazy then. Um, but we launched in April 2020. And I think we what we were originally had intended was we wanted to build this app as a way to, to help people become more empowered with their finances. And what we quickly realized is that you actually need to build more than just an app to be to really resonate with an audience. You need to build a way to speak to them. You need to build a connection with an audience. And we were kind of following this traditional, this older playbook. Um, When I say older, I mean circa 2010, 2015, (laughs) um, where you build an app, you build a personal finance app, you try to get as many users to use it, and then maybe uh, the larger institution will buy it. But that's not really like what we're trying to do. Like we actually want to make a difference in like people's lives and actually build a product that's meaningful. And so we kind of veered away from that. And that was a big learning from the pandemic. 
Yeah, it seems like a lo- you look at some of these companies, these apps that get acquired by the big institutions. Mm-hmm. What the institutions really after is the software, and they're yeah. not really into the community. Like mm-hmm. that's great, you have a million followers, but we're like we really just want the technology. That's what they value, and it's sort of a bummer because yeah. then all of those users. Feel, and the data. <laughs> and the data. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, so they get the data, but then they don't really care about the end user as much as maybe the first iteration of that app did. Interesting. Um, and so walk us through the experience of class. Tell me what I'm seeing. What am I learning? Yeah. So today, what we've done is we've refined, we've refined the experience quite a bit to be more focused on just journaling. Um, you know, we're trying to get away from the concept of budgeting. And uh, we want to really focus on people's mindset. And it's not just the app. We're also doing a course where we can kind of educate people on just being a, thinking about money in, in a better way and just understanding that money, to be better at money, it starts with really understanding yourself and yes. your values and your worth. And that's kind of how we're approaching it. And who's we when you say we are approaching it this way? Like, who's your team? Yeah. Who are you leaning on? Tell us so about the people My partner, my brilliant partner, her name is Catherine. Um, she is one of the deepest thinkers I know. And I'm so grateful that I somehow got connected to her. So we're kind of the main founding team. And, you know, we have other people on the team kind of helping us, but we're kind of the driving force. You haven't just stopped at the app. You have a social media presence as well. This yeah. is more personal to you. The Money Gay, it's mm-hmm. on TikTok and your videos have gone viral. Tell us about your approach to this. And I am, I may or may not be taking notes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we, as I mentioned, I, one of the things we realized during the pandemic is it's not enough just to build an app. Like you, you really have to build a connection with an audience if you want to build something of meaning. And, uh, you know, we were experimenting with different platforms. We had, you know, your typical company TikTok. We had a company Instagram. And it just, like, was not resonating. And, and uh, you know, I, I was, like, on TikTok during the pandemic because I was bored. I literally just joined just to see what it was all about. And I was like, let me, I feel like, let me just do this. And let me just do it on a personal level, like, without any kind of, thinking of what the company branding is like that's a little bit separate i'm just gonna have fun with it and just do it and just be myself and i launched it in february and within like a matter of weeks like the first video went like it went to over a quarter million views and not only that but it was just the the comments that that i was getting was just overwhelmingly positive like i was i was waiting for some shadiness right like i was like waiting for it but it was like not like and what were people saying well and who are these people i'm gonna know the demographic can you tell are they teens are they early 20s who's on tiktok it's definitely gonna veer a little bit younger we're talking gen z i would say for my for my profile we're probably looking you know from late teens to 25 Typically, Um, in terms of the gender breakdown that they actually give you, it's actually 77% women. (laughs) So and in terms of the comments, it was a lot of like, I feel safe here. Um, You know, finally, I can understand finance, I feel like this guy can actually teach me in a way I can actually understand. Mm -hmm. And that is like the most rewarding thing that you can possibly Mm -hmm. hear, because that is literally what I've always been so committed to making these inaccessible spaces accessible to people who actually are smart enough to understand it, but it's just society does not tell them that they can understand numbers in that way. 
you said a word that is quite triggering and that is safe. Mm-hmm. This, this feeling of safety, I think that everybody for for whatever reason there are times in our lives where we don't feel safe and for some people it's a fleeting moment for others it's every single day when they go to a workplace where they mm-hmm. don't feel represented or welcomed or they walk out of their home and similar experience and and going back to what we were discussing earlier about some of the headwinds the challenges that members of the LGBTQ plus community, but really any marginalized community experiences is this feeling of isolation, Mm -hmm. uh, loneliness, not feeling safe. Can you talk to that piece a little bit and how that does impact your financial health among Mm -hmm. other things, but, but specifically the correlation to financial well-being? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with when you look at a lot of traditional financial advice, especially, and and, and on TikTok too, like there's a big movement on TikTok around personal finance advice. You can see the kind of style it's given and the kind of people who kind of give that where it doesn't make anyone really feel very safe. The focus is on getting ahead. And as a result, like people do get left behind. And what happens, the way that actually manifests is if someone feels like this discipline or this industry is not a safe space for them, they're going to just ignore it altogether. And that's a bad thing because if they ignore, if they're completely ignorant of everything economic or finance, then they're not going to make the best financial decisions for themselves. They're not going to make the best decisions in terms of how to optimize their credit card debt or whether they should buy a home or whether they should invest. Like Those decisions are not even going to be made because that's not a conversation being had in these spaces at all. Yeah, I just did an episode on financial abuse, Mm -hmm. and that is a literal feeling of no safety in your relationship in many realms. Uh, But we often forget that uh, physical abuse, um, 96% of partners that are experiencing physical abuse in their relationship are also experiencing financial abuse. Yeah. And they, 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 I mean, to hear you talk about all these feels, I mean, this is what they feel. They feel, they feel trapped, you know, and yeah. that's, that's a real extreme, but I think that it's important. And that's why I loved having you on. I love having you on the show because we need to bring these issues more to the forefront. Issues that we take for granted. If you, like, we forget the privilege there is in feeling safe in your own skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, I mean, there's a lot we can talk about there and, and yeah. there are so many communities that are impacted by that. But let's talk about where you see this app class going in in, in like a year. I know time travels so fast yes. too, right? It's in the tech world. We were talking about like, oh, eons ago, really just five years ago, there was a different way of doing things. But um, what is your end all vision? You sounds like you're not really moving towards this buyout scenario no. or this in this which is a lot of not at all. a lot of people's hopes and dreams and also we even did not even discuss how you're raising money for this and you've yeah. just left your day job so i have to be nosy <laughs> and ask about how that's going on how how are you managing that yeah you know i am self we're self funding at the time at, currently um listen if you asked me a year or so ago pre-pandemic i would tell you the dream is to be bought out and to raise all this money and to become (laughs) that unicorn but the pandemic puts a lot of things in perspective and i think what we're focusing right now is to build a good business that people find meaningful that we can grow organically that's that's the plan right now the plan is not to get millions of users the plan is to get 
a handful of users that value the company enough to actually pay for the product. Um, it's a different approach. It's a different approach that we've, than we've seen in, you know, in the 2010s. And I suspect that we'll see this approach a little bit more. Um, but to answer your question about where Clasp is going, you know, so right now we're launching this course and where we want to go is, is to look at Clasp as a financial coaching platform where we're actually coaching people through our app, through text message, through video, and we're coaching them through their financial situation, um, whatever that may be. And that's the, the big picture where it's not just the me on the, where it's not just me or Catherine coaching. It could be another financial influencer who may be coaching their particular community and it's done through the platform. So that's, that's the big idea, but we have a ways to get there. <laughs> so really being the access point too, for a lot of people who want help because the community is large. There are yeah. many people who've mastered uh, various aspects of personal finance who can teach and you can be that sort of bridge from consumer to those experts. Yes, absolutely. Great. What do your parents think? Your immigrant parents <laughs> who raised the future of their <laughs> entrepreneurial legacy. I mean, I'm very lucky because I am someone who happens to be in, in, in an industry that the parents could be happy about. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I just, it just so happens that the things I'm passionate about are like things like finance and engineering and technology and entrepreneurship. So they're happy. They're, they're ecstatic. They, um, they love testing the app all the time and using it. <laughs> That's great. You know, going back to what you said about your experience in, in, in the world of finance, being told that your mannerisms weren't appropriate for moving up. Um, and then there, of course, were colleagues who were hiding their, um, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that they were gay at work. Any advice for a person right now working in a place where they may feel the same hostilities? They don't want to become entrepreneurs like, the, you know, but they want to they want to keep doing what they love. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that right now we're 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 pretty fortunate because there are a lot of great companies out there that are extremely inclusive, but I'm not going to be, I'm never going to be the person to say, you know, you should come out. It's all, everyone does that on their own sure. terms. Um, but I will say if you do feel unsafe at work, or if you feel like it's not a place that is including you, then you should leave and you should think about other companies or re do the research and find other companies that will actually include you because there are we're living in a good age right now where there are a lot of companies out there that are doing it especially with everyone going digital and remote now there's so much opportunity here so i would say just think about leaving and sometimes it could be a huge mental block but if you just entertain the thought and maybe do a little research a little light googling and just get used to the idea it'll get easier to actually make that change. Go where you are loved. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's advice my parents gave me when I was choosing a college. Uh, <laughs> but I think it it, it wasn't going to be Harvard. Um, they didn't, they didn't. <laughs> of course, I'm, a, I'm an Iranian immigrant daughter. I have to apply to these yeah, schools. And, I applied and I to Harvard. Why not? I mean, why not, right? That's what I figured. I'm like, it's a $60 application, yeah. I guess. And I'm, money I'm never getting back. But you never know. You never know. Um, and I went to Penn State where they gave me a scholarship. I felt like they were really pulling out all the stops. And yeah, whether it's a college, a job, a person you want to be in a relationship, go where you are loved. Yeah. Go. It's the path of least resistance. Absolutely. 
And you'll thrive. And when you thrive, you'll do great things. You Because you can be yourself. Yes. I mean, the, the simplest thing, <laughs> just yeah. the easiest thing, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. I mean, it's not easy, of course, for many people, but like it should be easier than it is. Yeah. Sunny Esrani, thank you so much. Everybody check out Clasp. It's recently made its debut in the App Store. Very excited for you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Sunny for joining me. You can check out Clasp in the App Store and themoneygay.com where they have just launched a course. Sunny's TikTok is The Money Gay. Coming up on Wednesday, another fintech founder, Amber Masters, founder of Paid Back, and she'll be sharing her story and inspiration behind her new app, which focuses on helping you get out of debt. That's on Wednesday. Hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.